So um, we've been talking through a series called Hashtag 2020 Vision. And um, what we're doing through this series, what I wanted to do is to really um, clarify, do some clarifying work for our church as we move next Sunday to a 9 a.m. worship slot. Um, there seems to be some buzz here at Kingdom City about a second English service at a different time. I think we're going to have um, some more help in different areas and uh, I'm very encouraged about what's, what's to come about that. Um, but before we do that, and even as we get into the next few weeks, I wanted to talk about clarifying our vision as a church. Um, I don't think we ever set out to be a one-stop-for-all kind of church where you could come here and if you're looking for all of these different services, or if you're looking for all these different needs. Woven is more of a boutique. I said that last Sunday. We're more of a boutique kind of church. We do two, maybe three things really well. And we want to continue to do those two, maybe three things really well. And they're there in our vision statement. So if you can pull that up on the screen, and if we can look at this vision together... And maybe we can even recite this together. Ready? Woven exists to be a diverse church community, woven together from and for the greater Houston metro area that is desegregating Sunday and sanctifying Monday to Friday through formational teaching, intentional discipleship, and holistic outreach. So those last three statements right there, those are the two, maybe three things that we really define ourselves, that we want to do really well, we do well, and that we're learning to do even better. That last one, um, holistic outreach. Uh, in full disclosure, in our LT meeting, I asked our team if maybe we should just take that out and just focus on the first two. And the LT reminded me, that's in there for a reason. And you remember, Pastor Wayne, you, you preached in a series uh, on economics a while back, and you talked about how we have to remember the poor. Remember the poor. And I do think that this was a timely reminder. You see, a vision statement is not something that's pie in the sky and that's something that says, oh, we're going to do these great and wonderful things. A vision functions almost like bumpers when you go bowling. Down the lane, you have bumpers that are set up, and whenever your ball wants to stray off course, in fact, when it wants to hop into the other lane, you know that saying people say these days, stay in your lane. Stay in what you do well, what you're called to do. And a vision functions like the bumpers. They function like the bumpers in a bowling lane where sometimes even the leader will get off track. And it's necessary for us from time to time to remember the parameters to remember what we need to do, what God's called us to do. That is what a good mission does. A good mission is expansive and broad. When I talk about desegregating Sunday, especially here in Houston, people, their imagination their, is captivated. Many times I hear, that's really, really super, that's awesome. But at the same time, we need to have these limits. And a good vision reminds us, you know, we are about holistic outreach. And we are a church that must strive to remember the poor. So holistic outreach, I'll talk about that in weeks to come. Intentional discipleship, we've always been, uh, ever since we launched this vision statement a year and a half ago, 
we've strongly emphasized that discipleship, you know, I've talked about how it's not something that you can just passively say, well, I'm going to teach you. Discipleship is active. I remember the times in my life when an older man, even an older woman, took interest. He or she said, no, 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 sit down, let's sit down, and I want to invest in your life. And they took the time to teach me, to guide me. Discipleship is not something that happens passively. Discipleship is when you take active interest in the life of someone else. Or it's when someone else takes an active interest in your life. Now, for now, we are a small enough community where there is no excuse that active interest in other people's lives should not be happening. It should be happening. Active and intentional discipleship. And the last, or really it's the first one there, but this is what I want to talk about today, is formational teaching. Formational teaching. And you might recall, this is one of the words that was slightly altered in the last, uh, since, since our vision statement. Uh, before it was insightful teaching. And the problem with insightful teaching is I thought about this, and I presented this to the LT, and I said, can we change this to formation? The problem with insight is you become passive recipients. And you sit there, and I as the resident teacher, give you insights. You see how presumptuous, how, you see how kind of this is really kind of vain, this is just one way. And the problem with insightful teaching is if I am the one that's giving you insight, the more, the more this happens, the less you become readers of the word yourself, the less you derive insight from Scripture yourself. No, the focus is not insightfulness, it's formation. It's not so much listen to the insights I can give you. The focus should be on do you know how to read the Scripture for yourself? Uh, what's today's date? October 27th. October 27th. I'm pretty much at that time where uh, I always look back and I reflect on my first day here in Houston. My first the first time I ever stepped foot in Houston was October 10th, 2010. 10, 10, 10. And now 10 years later, 10 years later, every single Sunday, with a few exceptions, my voice has gone out in this city. It's time that you not only hear the teaching, but you are formed where you can start reading the word for yourself. And you can start forming groups where you're interpreting the word yourself. So my hope for 2020 is that you are learning how to read scriptures and read the scripture in groups on your own. Where insight is not dependent on, you know, well, the Greek or the Hebrew says this. I mean, I, I'm going to try to strive to do less of that in 2020, to talk less if you can't find the meaning and you depend on what the ancient texts say, then really there's no, there's no growth. The great discovery is when you make it on your own, is when you make it on your own. And so, I introduced last Sunday three steps for how to read. 
how to read. And we looked at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And I'd like to just do this practice one more time. One more time, if you can pull up Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Because the good practice of observation is something uh, that you learn by doing. You learn by doing. And as much as you might feel like, well, we did this last Sunday, Pastor Wayne, the good uh, discipline of learning how to see is something that, that, that must be practiced. I may, I may have told the story last Sunday about Professor Agassiz. Did I tell that story about the fish? Look at the fish. The story goes that there was a professor who was sought out by a student. He was a professor of zoology. And the student said, oh, great Professor Agassiz. He was a professor of zoology at Harvard. He says, well, I'd like to learn under you. And the professor said, well, great. You want to learn zoology. You want to learn about animals. You want to learn and become a scientist. And the first thing he did, he didn't open up the books. He didn't teach him. He went to his shelf, and there was a fish inside of, the sh inside of a jar. He brought the jar down, and he sat in front of the st student, and he told the student, look at the fish, and tell me what you see. And he says, well, I see a fish. And he says, well, no, 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 I'm going to go away. And the professor disappeared, and during the entire day, the student was stuck staring at the fish. What do you see? And as the hours went by, the student was so bored, I mean, it's like reading the Bible, right? They go, oh, God, look at the Bible. That's where it starts. So all we do is we look, at the, we look at the fish. But as time went on, as time went on, the student, he said, well, okay, maybe, maybe this is kind of boring. Let me get a pencil. So he started drawing. He started reproducing what he saw with a pencil. The professor came back after his lunch break, and he said, good, you've learned to use a pencil. That's the first step. You know, I mean, the kids, are, the kids, they went to youth group, right? So I can kind of have some fun here. I mean, like teaching your children how to study, how to read. They're like, this is what my kids, oh, it's so boring. Reading the Bible. The first step is pick up a pencil. You learn when you get actively involved in the pages, in the text. You pick up a pencil. You pick up a highlighter. What are the repeated words? What are some of the things you see? Even in this verse, what do you see? And then the good professor disappeared again. He disappeared. And so the student, he said, oh, look at the fish. Look at the fish. So he takes the fish out of the jar. He sticks his finger in its mouth. He sees it has sharp teeth. He plays around with this thing. At the end of the day, another bunch of hours pass by, and the professor says, what did you see? He says, well, I see it has sharp teeth, it has spines, I can see. And the professor says, well, you've missed the most obvious thing that was right in front of you. You missed the most obvious thing. Do you see right in front of you what's in the text? You see the most obvious thing? And the student said, no. And you know what the professor said? Good night, that's it for tonight. Time to go home. And the entire night, the student agonized over the word of God or the fish and agonized, what is that most obvious thing that I didn't see? Friends, if you think the Bible is just a bunch of words that slapdash kind of thrown together and there's really just a kind of, there's a story, especially in the book of Jonah, especially in the book of Jonah, this is a book that you can spend an entire lifetime studying. Words are not haphazard. 
in the Bible. Meaning is placed in there, in between the lines, for anybody who will look at the fish. The next morning, the student comes in, and the professor says, well, have you figured out what that most obvious thing was? And the student says, could it be that maybe the fish is symmetrical? It's organs, it's, there's a symmetry. And the professor rewarded him by saying, Eureka, you found it. You found it. One of the most delightful things for me when I teach Sunday school or Bible study is I, when I don't give you the answer, but I see you fishing for it. And when you see things in the text. So observation is key. It's the first step. It's the first thing. So let's practice our observation by reading Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, all together. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow. Observe, look at the fish. What do you see? Just for 60 seconds. I'm going to call on just one person. That way everybody's prepared. More seconds. Good. Vivi, what did you see? Sorry to pick on you, sweetheart. Mom and Dad, you want to help out? And what's remarkable about that, so she noticed that the three days, three nights correlates with Jesus. Uh, between death and resurrection. You know, Jesus himself looked at the fish. Jesus himself interpreted Jonah. You know that? Jesus himself, in the Gospels, he talks about the sign of Jonah. So even Jesus is doing observation. I won't ask for any more, um, just because of the format of the Sunday service. It's probably more conducive towards me teaching. But I want to shape you to read it on your own. That's the point. You see, the dependency that's created Sunday after Sunday, it can be one of a lazy thinking. A lazy thinking is produced if you depend on me to teach. In 2020, 2020, Woven must learn to read for itself. 
Woven must learn how to read. It does not mean you have to understand or have the answers. But you must know how to look. All it takes is the ability to observe, to sit still, and to see. You can always come back with questions. You can say, Pastor Wayne, we met in a group, and we were studying the book of Galatians. What does this mean? And I can provide you with at least some direction. But it's not about a failure of knowing the right or wrong answers. It's just a failure to look. In our society today, really, the failure to look is what produces a lazy, dependent thinking. In 2020, my hope is that Woven would become a place where there are groups of people that are reading Scripture on their own. On their own. But we, I don't want to just stay there. You know, we observed and we saw a number of things in this passage last week. We saw uh, that the Lord appointed. The word appointed shows up a lot in the book of Jonah. We saw that the fish was underwater. And so if Jonah found, you know, if he fought his way out of the fish, he would have drowned. All the things you can observe, you see that? We also saw that Jonah... Um, there's no identification that this was a whale. So we don't know exactly what kind of fish this was. So we observed a number of things. But what I want to do today is talk about now the second half of this, from how to read, I want to talk about how to pray. How to pray. And this is the second half of the talk that I said that I would continue today. How to pray. And for this, if you could pull up, after this verse, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, these are the words that Jonah prayed from the stomach of the fish. You see, it's important for us to make this connection between reading and praying. The reason it's important to make this connection is because how you pray, listen carefully to this, how you practice your spiritual life is largely dependent upon how you read. How you read largely determines how you will pray. If we are reading junk food, we're going to pray junk prayers. If we are filling our minds up with the Word of God and we understand it intuitively, our prayers become enriched. And to illustrate... Let me read to you Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. Verses 1 to 9. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and this is what he said. He said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Let me pause here. By the way, this is a prayer. This is a prayer. It's interesting, the choice of words. Sometimes we think we have to pray, you know, it's funny when you watch somebody pray for the first time, 
O thou great God, thee art thy wonderful light. And it's not necessary. Chances are you're reading the King James Version. You don't need to do that. You don't need to read the King James Version. Read something that you can understand. Read the NIV, the ESV, the NASB, the NLT. So he continues in verse 6, I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. Here's the turnaround. But you've brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You notice he's switching from third to, first, to second person. I remembered the Lord, my prayer to you. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. There, there's a closing evaluative statement. If I give up on God, I'm giving up on myself. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. That's a prayer. You start off with a lament. Weeds were wrapped around my head. This is a terrible situation. And then towards the end of the prayer, but you're able to come back to the place what Scripture grounded, grounds you. And you're able to recognize, I have to keep my promises. I have to keep my vows to the Lord. I will not sell out. I will hold on to God. And in the end, this concluding statement, salvation is from the Lord. Powerful prayers. But the power, the power is in this. Look at the passage. Remember, remember, look at the fish. What do you see? What do you see? And if you have paper Bibles, what did the good professor say? What's the second best thing than eyes? A pencil. So if you have your Bible, or even if you have your phone, what do, what do you see about these verses? And by the way, while observation is taking place, Raymond, if you, if you have this graphic, if you could just get this ready, it's in there. I'll tell you the answer. You know what you can see in this passage is a lot of footnotes. And you'll see a lot of, you know, letter A, B, C next to these verses. What does that mean? What does this mean? All the footnotes, what are they citing? Some of you may have heard this talk before. They're citing the book of Psalms. Psalms. So in other words... When I was a child, when I was a young person, maybe even as young as 13 years old, and I said, how do I pray? How do I pray? And I was taught, when you pray, just use your words. Talk like you're talking to your friend. And that's good. That's good. But there comes a point where you want to just not talk to your friend anymore. Or when your words to your friend, you know, talking to your friend. How many of you know, like, you know, that sometimes you're feeling something and you, you want to talk to somebody. It makes you feel better. But sometimes it's not enough. Talking to God like our friends sometimes is kind of like, you know, I'm feeling something that's so deep. It's so deep and I'm trying to, I'm trying to you know, it's like a well. 
And when you look inside of a well, the water is down there. You know the water is down there. And you need a bucket, a bucket that will go deep enough. But the bucket you have is too shallow. The rope is not long enough. And it's in moments like these, just talking to my friend, is, it's just not enough. I know this experience. Sometimes when it's you know, late at night and my wife wants to go to sleep, many times it's vice versa as well. And hey, can we talk? And we talk, and it's 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., but I'm not, feeling, I'm not feeling like I got that. I'm still feeling insecure, or I'm still feeling trapped. I'm not feeling better. Can we talk a little bit more? I mean, you know, this feeling like you can talk, and you can talk yourself, you can talk yourself well, but then you keep talking, and you talk yourself sick again. In other words, we need a bucket that can go deep enough, that can provide the words that can access the deepest parts of our souls. The bucket that I'm talking about, friends, is not your own words. It's Scripture. Scripture. You notice that the words that Jonah prays here are not his own words talking to God like talking to my friend the words that Jonah uses are the words from the book of Psalms. Did you know that two-thirds of all the Psalms, they're actually Psalms of complaint? Complaint. As a good Korean-American, raised by a good first-generation Korean father, I was taught not to complain. And if I complained, I was told to stop. The Bible gives you permission to complain. In fact, it gives you words. I used to be afraid of flying 10 years ago. You can sit in the plane whenever turbulence happens and say, oh my God, 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 oh my God. Or you can sit on the plane and the turbulence comes and you can say, nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. All your breakers and your billows passed over me. But I, I will continue to pay my vows. Salvation is from the Lord. Now, can you see the difference there? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. Or, salvation is from the Lord. Prayer comes from good reading of Scripture. So friends, what I'm talking about, really, essentially, what I'm talking about is how to read. What I'm talking about is formation. I'm not giving you meaning. I'm pushing you, challenging you, releasing you even from me so that in groups, Groups that are woman-led, I talked about that as well. Groups that are woman-led, that you begin to look at Scripture yourself, and as you look at Scripture yourself, you are learning how to pray. Friends, this is not insightful teaching. This is formational teaching. And ever since my first day that I set foot in, here in Houston, I said, the way I want to preach to my people 
is to shape them, to form them as Christians who are healthy and who can stand with Scripture and who know how to pray from Scripture. I don't know if I succeeded in 10 years, honestly. I don't know if I succeeded. But I do know that the next 10 years, that is what I aim to do. Really. Really. I've been reading and studying about pedagogy. How can you teach people so that they can teach themselves? I'm teaching myself theory, pedagogical theory. How can the people of God depend less on the insightful teaching of one resident theologian, and how can they become priests themselves in the workplaces, to their families, to their contexts? How can you, how can you be commissioned to become pastors where you are at. And I hope in 10 years, at least I've given you enough spiritual formation so that what you've taken becomes the formation that you need to be missionaries in the world. Yes, that's what I've striven for for the last 10 years. That's what I want to happen in the next 10. Formation looks like this. If you can pull that up on this, were you able to find it? Formation looks like this. On the top, you have liturgical prayers. Liturgical prayers simply means praying the scripture, praying the word of God. And like a cloud, like the heavy clouds that we see in Houston. um, I remember when I first moved to Houston, it was amazing to me how big the sky was. The sky was huge, big, big sky country. Right? Is that what we call Texas? And the clouds, the clouds were, they were, they were enormous. Why are the clouds so large in Texas? Because of humidity. And the humidity, the, the dew drops, literally, they, con, they congeal. They, they form these heavy, heavy clouds. Friends, that's how the Word of God functions. When you build up enough enough humidity in the air, when you've been reading the scripture to the point it's flowing out of your ears, to the point where scripture's coming out of your mouth, that is when the clouds are heavy. You see? Scripture, Scripture is the humidity that replenishes, that replenishes this cloud. And what happens is when the cloud rains, it adds depth to your prayers. It adds depth so that instead of praying like I do when I was afraid in in the air, in the the airplane, and the turbulence come, and I'm saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, help me, help me, help me, which really, that's junk prayer. It's junk prayer. I know many, many people who pray junk prayers. Well, God, if you get me out of this one, uh, you know, if you get me out of this one, then, you know, I'll do anything you want. And periodically, God hears those prayers. Don't get me wrong. But you can't stay there. You can't pray like that for the rest of your life. As a Christian, the word needs to build up in the clouds so that instead of sitting there and saying, oh, God, just get me through this one and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you whatever you want. No, no, no. You start to pray words that are informed by, by the word of God, by the Psalms. And the more your language changes, 
The more your language changes, your prayers actually become deep. So that when you have prayer meetings, when you gather for prayer, when you're gathering and you're having all-night prayer vigils, or when you're in groups of people praying together, you can hear the maturity in each other's words. I remember my roommate in college. We used to pray together. And in the beginning, he was a newbie. He was a new Christian. And his prayers, they were very innocent. He didn't know how to pray. But over the course of time, as I listened to him pray, I could hear he's reading, he's growing. His cloud is getting heavier and heavier. Friends, the bottom water, this is revival prayer. This is prayer that's on fire. This is prayer that we are growing in here in in Woven. And as that revival prayer is fed by the Scripture, you can see it replenishes sometimes the dryness of the Word of God. Sometimes reading Scripture is dry. But that revival prayer is needed. So yes, you need to talk to God like this is somebody that you can relate to. You need to speak to Him just like you would speak to a friend. Because you need to find your own words. It's going to replenish the dryness. And that's the cycle. That's how this works. Let me conclude with this. Just the last story. Learning how to pray for me as a young person, this was something that, you know, I, like I said, I was told, just talk to God as your friend. And I took that very, very seriously, and I began to pray. And I said, oh, God, Jesus, you know, I feel, this is how I feel. You know, this is what's going on. And Jesus, I would talk to God. But over time, I began to find, and I, I sh- I've shared this testimony before, I began to find that the longer I prayed, you know, it used to be at one point an hour every evening. Sometimes I would push even longer than that, one or two hours, and I would pray, and I would find eventually that my prayers, not only were they lacking the depth, but they were becoming dry. My prayers were becoming... Um, they were not really helping me much. My experience was that I was learning how to talk myself out of my problems. But after the first hour, I came full circle and talked myself back into my problems. That was my experience. I don't know if any of you relate to that. You see, what I was experiencing was I was growing up. And when you grow up, you cannot pray the same prayers you prayed when you were 13. When you're 30, you cannot pray. Listen to this. When you're 30 and you have babies, you cannot pray the same way you prayed when you were 21 years old. You can't. Trust me, you just can't. Oh, I got to pray. Get on my knees. You just put the baby down, right? And you get on, and you're still praying. And and you wake up 7 a.m. the next morning, the baby crying, and you're a fault. You can't pray the same way. When you're 40, you can't pray the same way when you're 30. Do you know why? Five spiritual truths that I want to impart with you in closing. This is on the bottom of your bulletin from Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr. Talk about spiritual formation, shaping Christians. Richard Rohr's work has been spiritual formation of Christians. 
The first spiritual truth, the first spiritual truth is life is hard. Life is hard. The older you get, the harder life gets. And there are multiple stages, my friends. I, rem- I mean, when I go to summer camp with the, with the kids, and I get to see the kids worshiping Jesus, right? Especially those maybe who came from sheltered backgrounds. And part of me feels like, life's going to get harder. I feel bad. I feel bad. Life's going to get harder. You love God now, and you feel the presence of God, but truth is, life's going to get harder. I feel bad. You know, and there was another moment I felt this. And this was two summers ago. I was in Minneapolis. And I was at the ECC, our denomination, our annual gathering. It's the place where we vote on our business decisions. It's the place where we ordain new pastors. Now, I'm no spring chicken. I've done ministry long enough to have been around the block, and I'm still young enough to change careers. <laughs> but as I watched these young ordinance, these young pastors wearing black, their black robes, walk up to the front and to receive their stole, and to be bestowed, some of them in their early 20s. And I was standing next to a seasoned pastor, another pastor, gray, old, older man. And as we watched these young pastors about to enter into ministry, we began to cry. Because it's so hard. And these young ministers have no idea. And they enter in, it's like... You know, it's like, it's like the first scene of Saving Private Ryan, you know? They enter, they're like, we're going to go do some good. We're going to go fight this. We're going to go out into the world. And then the thing, the door opens, and they all get blown to bits. Half of ministers, they don't make it out of the starting gate, let alone past year five. Ministry, it's life. It's not just for ministers, but the analogy The analogy that I'm communicating is your Christian faith when you were 13, when you were 20, it's not going to work when you are 30, 40, 50. Grown-up people need grown-up faith. What are you going to do when you wrestle with marital strain, when you wrestle with infertility? when you wrestle with bankruptcy, when you wrestle with job loss, when you wrestle with depression, when you wrestle with relational fallout, when you wrestle with employee problems and, you know, company strain. 13-year-old faith is not going to cut it. Just talk to Jesus. Just pray. Just talk. No, you need more. You need a deeper faith. Life is hard. Second spiritual truth is your life is not about you not about you. Prayers get deeper when we learn this. Third, you're not in control. Fourth, you are not that important. And fifth, you will die one day. Oh, Pastor Wayne, that sounds morbid and heavy. 
the Puritan preachers back in the day in England, they regularly talked to their congregants to prepare them to die well. That's what J.I. Packer taught me in seminary. Teach the people how to be prepared for hardship. Prepare the people for the last moment. You only live well as you are prepared to die well. Your prayers change when you realize the hardship of life. It's no longer just about Jesus. You know, you and me, best friends, we're BFFs, Jesus. And I'm feeling this, Jesus. It's, it's got to be deeper than that. It becomes prayers that need to be informed by the Word. So, I think you get the point that I'm making, friends, in 2020. In 2020, may Woven learn to read for itself using the inductive method. Who remembers the inductive method? Number one, observation. Just look at the fish, observe. Number two, what do you do after you've observed? Interpretation. So interpret. Take a stab at it. If you feel like even, the great thing about the inductive method is you don't even have to be a Christian. You don't even have to be a Christian to do this. And I've seen um, gatherings where you have people who are not believers and yet they're wrestling with the gospel of Mark. They're wrestling with the scripture. This is a good thing. And as you make an interpretation, even if the interpretation is off, you can easily say, we're not sure about that. Let's put a pin in that. Let's table that. Then you can ask the pastor. Pastor, what do the commentaries say about this verse? We're unsure about it. But take a stab. Interpret it. But what's the third and last step? Application. Word was, the word was not meant to just fill our heads. It was not meant to fill our heads. If you're reading the Gospel of Mark and you read about blind Bartimaeus who took up his mat after so many did not follow Jesus, after even many turned away from following Jesus, blind Bartimaeus got up and he followed Jesus. How do you apply that? You've observed the stories in the Gospels. You've interpreted it. Obviously sight means a lot. But now you have to follow. What does it mean to follow Jesus? For me, following Jesus meant I had to leave home. I left New York, the place of my birth after 20 years. Following Jesus meant doing some really uncomfortable things. I'm not saying that it means leaving home. But I'm saying that applying scripture is serious business. If you've been gripped by the text, as some of you have been, applying what you've heard, that's, that's the fun part. Sometimes it's also the scary part. Oh God, what am I going to do about my job? I'm scared. Unemployment issues or in-between jobs. What does Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Don't worry about tomorrow. Applying that? Man, that's scary. That's hard. Applying that? That's where the life adventure really begins. That's where the Christian journey becomes fun, if I can even say. When we're applying what we've read.